Welcome to the Fabulously Keto podcast aimed at improving health, vitality and quality of life. Eating real food in a ketogenic lifestyle. I'm Jackie Fletcher and I'm based in the UK. And I'm Louise Reynolds, an Aussie currently based in Bangkok, Thailand. Each week we will be bringing you guests who share their stories and discuss a range of topics which we hope will improve your health and well-being. Many of the guests, like us, came to Keto for Weight Loss and have stayed for their well-being, numerous health benefits and because they are living their best lives. We hope you will be inspired to incorporate these ideas into your own health journey so that you can feel better than you ever have before. Thinking about starting keto? Take a listen to episode number two, What is Keto and How to Start? So just before we go over and introduce you to this week's guests, I'd like to read to you a review that we've received recently. And this is from Low Carbo and says, really like it when I see another episode is available. Always feel like I'm talking with my gal pals. Simple reminders to stay on low carb track. Thank you, Low Carbo. And if you have a review that you'd like to leave for us, we would really, really appreciate it. We're looking to get our reviews up. And depending on where in your world, the world you are will depend which reviews you see. So the more reviews we can get from all over the world, that would be fantastic. So head to your podcast app and leave a review and rate it as well. Thank you. And now we'll go over and introduce you to this week's guests. Welcome to the Fabulously Keto Podcast. This is episode 105. Jackie, it still feels a bit surreal that we've passed 100 episodes. I know, I know. And we're at least a month in now, so we should be getting used to it. Well, yes. And so what's our next milestone? Our next milestone is our second anniversary coming up at the beginning of October. In fact, the episode, our special episode going out will come out on the 29th of September. And we have a special Sorry? guest. We have a special guest. I don't think you've, you've told me who our special guest is. You're holding out on me again. <laughs> you do know who our special guest is. Are we going to share oh, it with the listeners? Or should we that's... keep them in? No, they, they have to be, be on tenterhooks for, for a little while longer. Okay. Not very long, a couple of Not weeks. Not very long. That's all right. It just it, it'll they'll count count down the episodes to to the next episodes. So that's that's all well and good. In fact, our second anniversary episode will be one oh seven. So it's in two weeks' time. So not long oh, to wait. How exciting for us! But Jackie, let's just get back to today's episode, and we have not one but two guests. Yes, we have Jen Unwin, who's coming back for the second time. She was previously on episode 37. And her work colleague, Heidi Yeva. And you got to see both of these ladies at the PHC conference as well as Kestival. Can you? I never got to a Kestival. I feel I've got Kestival FOMO. What's, what, what is Kestival? So Kestival is... Um, it started last year. The first one was last year. And then we went again this year. 
It's run by the Keto Fitness Club. So Mark and Ella will be coming on the show soon. So they'll tell us more about Kestival and their Keto Fitness Club. And it's mostly their their tribe that go, but there's also stalls and things of uh, things that um, people are showcasing. So the PHC takes a stall there, and I was manning the stall last year, and I was manning the stall this year. You As were woe manning, woe manning, woe manning. Oh, I can't Neither be doing. I can't be doing with all this politically correct <laughs> stuff. You know, I'm quite happy being a woman and. Letting manning the stall, manning the stall, <laughs> yeah, <stall>. absolutely. <laughs> but it was really good that you obviously got to got to see Jen and Heidi both at you know obviously at the PHC conference and at Kestiful, and obviously recruited them for the podcast. Yes, yes, and um, Jen and Heidi would tell us more about their event that's coming up. But Jen was telling me all about it when we were at Kestiful when we were standing around trying to find some shade but we also we all ate together um when we had our lunch our picnic lunch so it was good why don't you remind us about jen for the for the listeners that may not have heard her previous episode dr jen unwin is a chartered clinical and health psychologist she worked for over 30 years in the nhs and now spends her time researching campaigning and writing about sugar addiction She's a founding member of the Public Health Collaboration, a UK charity campaigning for better public health advice. Her and her husband, Dr. David Unwin, a GP, have been helping the patients in his practice adopt low-carb diets to reverse their diabetes. This work has resulted in several published papers and numerous conferences and media appearances. She has recently published a book called Fork in the Road, which is a guide for people with sugar or carb addiction. All profits of the book are going to the PHC. Why don't you tell us about Heidi? Heidi is originally from Norway, but spent her childhood in East Africa. With her first degree in chemical engineering, she spent most of her career in international business development. In her early 40s, she had a health scare and she was tested for early onset dementia due to increasing memory and concentration problems that negatively impacted her work, her performance and resulted in plummeting self-confidence. She retrained in nutrition and lifestyle medicine and years later met Dr. Jen Unwin Mm -hmm. and food addiction specialist Bitten Johnson, both whom they trained together. So under Bitten's guidance, she understood her problem was food addiction. It wasn't from poor childhood nutrition, rather it was an unchecked desire and exposure to sugar where she learnt to bake as a child learning to love the whipped sugar and butter bases for cakes and biscuits with added flavorings, textures like cocoa powder and oats <laughs> that exposed her brain and her body to ever-increasing amounts without the visible effects on her weight. So now she is a food addict in remission, focusing on life with and beyond the food. With her husband, she moved to the UK almost nine years ago and started voluntary work in the most deprived areas of Crawley in West Sussex. She is focused on nutrition 
in the communities and preschools and building awareness of the dangers of hidden sugars and the value of feeding children real food. More recently, she's working with adults, running diabetes reversal programs for GP surgeries in Sussex and with private clients helping with weight and metabolic challenges with a particular focus on food addiction. She's collaborating now with Dr. Jen Unwin on a food addiction recovery clinical study with colleagues from Sweden and North America, where they offer group consultation-based programs, which they hope will provide valuable clinical evidence in this field. Her passion project is the nutrition and lifestyle work focused on children and young parents, which resulted in the Collaboration for Kids project, and she is leading under the umbrella of the Public Health Collaboration. So let's hear Jen and Heidi. Welcome to the Fabacy Keto podcast, and it is our pleasure today to have not one, but two guests with us today. Welcome Jen Unwin and Heidi Yeva. Now, ladies, we'd like to usually start with where in the world are you? I'll throw to Jen first. We'll have to sort of be a bit directorship here. Yeah, do. Um, I'm in Southport, which is in the northwest of the UK. I'm just north of Southport on the on the coast, and uh, it's a very beautiful place to live. It's not always the best weather, but we'll go with it. <laughs> it's looking particularly sunny on on the Zoom call today. Yeah, nice today. And Heidi, where in the world are you? Well, I happen to be in my home in Belgium, which is, and it's in a place called Kierbergen, which is almost bang in the middle between Brussels and Antwerp. And it is absolutely beautiful here. Um, blue skies, I can't see a cloud anywhere. Oh, well, we actually, in Melbourne, Australia, we actually had blue skies today, so... And both the ladies were sort of saying, I'm looking particularly cold. I'm here in my Udi. So this absolute wonderful investment, um, my fashion accessory with koalas and it's fur lined and I now have the matching socks. So Udi has been absolutely my best friend this winter. So um, I'm absolutely jealous of the of late summer now. You're, you're almost not quite into spring. So yeah. when... We'll actually turn our attention. We will just say hello to, to Jen. It's good to have you back on the podcast. But sorry, Jen, we're going to pass the baton over to, but we'll come back to Jen because we have invited Heidi here to really, you know, share her story. And then we know that all roads will lead back to Jen. So we'll come back to how the two of you are collaborating um in the present time but we'll start with perhaps Heidi and give you the opportunity to tell us a little bit of your backstory and what how when you found your way to to sort of low carb or you know your health your health journey okay thank you um so originally I am I'm a chemical engineer I come from Norway um and I have an upbringing of being very, very fortunate when my mother was actually at home when I was a child. And so she cooked everything from scratch. We had um, we had a, a, a garden, a vegetable garden. Um, and I, I had a very good, um, a good, a very good basis 
um, for eating very well, eating very real and natural foods. But um, I went a little bit astray, not, not really feeling that I went astray because I never, I never ever had any, any weight problems. So I was very, very fortunate as a child and as a teenager, and I could eat pretty much everything that I wanted. Um, and I, so I did. And, and so, of course, as a, as a child with a mother at home, learning to bake, learning to, to, um, to make things from scratch, um, and developed a very nice sweet tooth, very, very, very developed sweet tooth, um, to the extent that I remember doing things like, um, you know, going into the cupboard and, and helping myself to, to oats and sugar, mixing them to make a nice sweet mix or cocoa powder and sugar. Yes, I can see Louise, <laughs> your face. That was, you know, that was, that was normal to me, but it was always, it was always, you know, looking back, it was always sneaky I knew I wasn't allowed to do it and it wouldn't be approved of um, and things like making you know eating bits of the biscuit mix when I was making biscuits and then knowing of course where the biscuit tin was and helping myself to one and then another and and thinking as a as a, only a child does you know nobody's going to notice if you take one at a time but if that one at a time is every five minutes then you know eventually somebody's going to realize um, but probably the, 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 the really the, the change that happened in my life, not to go on for, for too long about this, is that um, when I left home, um, went to university and then um, was working and traveling a lot. I had an international career in business as a chemical engineer. I lived out of hotels a lot um, and I really did eat pretty much again everything that I wanted and very much based on sweet and fast foods um, but particularly a lot of sweet foods um, and I could get away with it because I had I just didn't put on weight um, and somehow maybe I managed it with being very very busy very always very busy with my work but in my late 30s early 40s things started going wrong with my career. And I became more and more aware that I was, my memory wasn't so good anymore. I was losing, I was really struggling with concentration problems. Um, and those two things together, when you've got, as you can imagine, I did have an international career. I had a lot of working with people, big meetings, presentations, that kind of thing. And I would be in the midst of something and completely lose my track, no idea where I was going, what I was talking about. So as a result of that, I became more and more afraid of public type performances or talking with, with or having discussions being even being in, in basic management meetings, because I would be trying to make a point and then I'd, I'd just lose it completely. Um, so my, my loss of confidence then started to sort of compound the problem. Um, and eventually, this was at a, it was this was sort of at the same kind of time as my mother had been diagnosed with Alzheimer's disease. So, in discussions with we have a few friends here in Belgium who who um, who are in the med medical profession. Um, my husband was extremely supportive. Saw it happening. We actually worked for the same for the same company, so I could share with him. He could see what was happening to me. Um, and between us, we decided I needed to have some 
serious investigations into what was going on. And, and I was basically, uh, they, they looked at me for early onset dementia. So I went through all the tests for that um, and came up with pretty much nothing apart from that I really needed to see, get help from a psychologist because my lack of, I, I just had no confidence in my own abilities. And I was kind of, I was kind of limiting myself through that, um, but they couldn't see any signs of, of dementia. Um, at that point, I started investigating a little bit myself uh, because they couldn't say anymore. And I felt this is, this is, there has to be some reason for this. Um, and I suppose I had that sort of back, back of my consciousness, this thing that Heidi, you don't really eat very healthily. Mm. Um, and I was also sort of conscious of the fact that I remember when, when, when we took trips to England, which we did quite, quite regularly, you know, one of my biggest focuses for those trips would be getting to the supermarkets and filling up on carrot cake and, you know, stores of how much carrot cake can I actually take back with me and, and, and how long will it keep for? And then all these varieties of biscuits um, that we could, that, that I would get there. And anyway, long story short, I started Googling, started investigating a bit um, uh, and realized that this is actually my problem is down to, to eating and eating the wrong foods. Um, and so that led me to retraining in nutrition, following metabolic, um, metabolic health courses, and via, 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 um, got, got actually started getting in contact with the low carb community through metabolic health courses in, um, in America, because I didn't find anything locally in Europe, which is a bit bizarre now, particularly. But then it was um, uh, at one of these conferences, Professor Eric Westman, who we all know and love mm. for his work, um, he introduced me to the public health collaboration, public health collaboration, I got introduced to David and Jen. And it was, I popped in to see you, didn't I, Jen, when we were, I, I had just been doing my training with um, experts, diabetes, expert health, you know, Trudy Deakin and her, yeah. her, um, her programs. And I popped in to see Jen and David on my way back from, from there. And Jen said to me, are you interested in, in food addiction? I said, what, what do you mean food addiction? And, and then she, she sort of told me a little bit about, told me about Bitten Jonsson and that she was running a course. Um, and the more she told me, the more I thought, goodness, she's describing my problem. That's exactly what I was dealing with years, years ago now and trying to do all these things to, 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 to trick myself into getting out of this, to, to get rid of these, these foods that I, was, that I really struggled to control. That is food addiction. Why didn't I think of that before? And, and that's really how we, and then we trained together. So, um, so that's how I ended up sort of changing my, my focus. And in the midst of it all, um, what I've missed saying is of course my, my um, chemical engineering business career went fell by the wayside, but I actually realized that 
I wanted to be working in this field that was so incredibly important to me personally mm. um, that, that that also affected so many other people around me. Yeah. So when was this that you retrained as a nutritionist? So um, I suppose I started then in my early 40s um, and and then I'm yes so so I, I did various courses um, and then I ended up but I didn't actually work with nutrition um, in to any great degree until I started working in the UK when we moved to the UK um, what's that nearly yeah that's eight and a half years ago now um, and I started, so my, my sort of starts with working with nutrition was in the voluntary sector. I started working in community centers um, trying work, and working with um, local, uh, so we moved to Crawley in, in, um, in Sussex, uh, West Sussex. And, and I started working with community centers and local GP surgeries um, on, on nutrition and various projects. In that connection, um, but in particular, the, my my the most exciting starting point was working in the, these community centres with um, with children uh, in in um, preschools, where mm. we were trying to sensitise young young children, but also their particularly their parents, young parents, to the dangers of of sugar and 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 fake foods, effectively. Yeah, how did that go? It's hot, hot. isn't it? That was hard. It was it was actually in in one of the most um, deprived areas of Crawley, um, and I remember so much so well the particularly the young teenagers and particularly the young teenage girls that would come into these community centres um, and walk past where 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 I had my you know, my my little sort of office area and, and information bits, and they would be you know, it felt like they were deliberately eating donuts and, you know, bags of Maltesers and stuff like that as, she, as they walked past me. And, you know, these gorgeous young youngsters who, who just didn't see anything wrong. They were, they were slim, they were beautiful, they, they, you know, they didn't have a problem. And thinking, thinking to myself, oh gosh, you know, you keep doing this, you're going to have, you're going to have the same kind of problem that I had. Yeah. And we all see that now, but people don't want to listen. No, we didn't want to either, did we? No. Yeah. no we were invincible. I, I mean, in my case, I remember people did say to me, oh, you're so lucky. You don't put on weight. You can eat what you like. And I think in a way I did it deliberately then to show them, yes, I can. Which is a terrible thing to say, but I think that, yeah, it's it's sort of what we do as youngsters, don't we? We don't make the connections. Well, I don't think we're primed to make those just you know connections at that age because obviously you know back in back in caveman times you know we we knew about some of the risks obviously you know the the threats the saber tooth tiger was out there going to get us but we do have that bravado that sort of impenetrability that you know we're we're stoking the fires you know we we're we're tough but i think it also gets to the fact that we 
they're living for now. You know, I'm not going to live for when I'm 40. My gosh, that's so old. That is over the hill. What are you talking about? I mean, 50 is the new 40, but anyway, um, yeah. we're not, we were never going to do that. You know, it's the live for now. It's the, you know, that, that born free spirit that we're just all ready to, you know, drive fast, live young, die young, live, you know. Yeah, whatever it is, the Live same fast, goes, but fast. Yeah. Yeah, die young. yeah, absolutely. And I think also there's an element of of um you know if we if we if we cut ourselves or we you know we we uh, there's something that that happens now, we deal with the problem now, don't we? Right. Cut ourselves, you put a you know, you 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 dress it and, and you deal with that. You break a leg, you deal with that, but you eat, you know, carrot cake every day for for you know a, a few months if you don't well even if you do put on weight you don't necessarily deal with with that carrot cake problem you might exactly at the moment yeah at the moment yeah. but i think it also says that how um i have two i have two compare and contrast questions in the sense when i think of norwegian food like i've been to oslo and uh, tromso so that was lovely and I did not see any sweets anywhere. I mean, admittedly, I'm in tourist places, but, you know, when I think of the food that I ate, it was obviously really yummy, but not particularly sweet palate. And I must say how the UK ruined you, didn't it? So, but anyway, but you found your way back to Jen, so that's all good. You know, the UK has saved you. But when I think of Norwegian food, your grandmother spoiled, or your mum your mum spoiled you, or your grandmother was the one that showed you how to cook. My mother, but my grandmother as well. I mean, it's very, very traditional um, to to uh, in in Norwegian culture. It's you know you invite people round um, for or you did sort of in in round for for coffee and cakes. You invited people. It, we have a tradition of um, you you, ha- you have to have seven different cake types for Christmas you know that's if you don't do that then then you really aren't looking after your family you and and they have to you know they have to be homemade that kind of thing so that's what I was brought up with from originated from my grandmother and her mother and etc etc through to 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 my mother so I think and and I think maybe that's why you you didn't see it so much in the shop I didn't. Maybe I don't know, but of course now nowadays Norway, just like any other any other European country or any other country in the world, the available there is there are um, there's a lot of availability. Maybe not the to the extent there is in England. Um, I was looking yesterday in the in the supermarket aisles here, just in our local town, and and the the extent of of the sh- the availability of of breakfast cereals, for example, I would say probably here in our biggest best supermarket here in Kerbergen would be a quarter of the size of what you'd see in a Tesco's or a or a Sainsbury's. Mm. Yeah. So so yeah, there is that. There is a difference still, I think, but um, but I think there's still plenty of of potential to. To be to eat high carb here and um, to to have access to all possible drug foods as as Jen and I would sure. show them. Um, well, yeah, I've been 
on my travels when I was living and working in the UK and I went to to Bruges and to and to Brussels but yeah certainly I mean they're tourist towns so yeah it was just waffles on every corner so um that's nothing to really chocolates oh my gosh yes well when when in and beer so Belgian beer chocolate and waffles so um that's my fond memories of of Bruges the Christmas markets Sorry. Of course, of course. The what what they call the French fries. They don't call them French fries here. Frites, frites. Different, yes. Mm. Uh, mayonnaise. That's oh, a- yum. <laughs> Who wouldn't want carbs with their fat or fat with their carbs? But anyway, it's all delicious. But it, it's really good that you obviously found your way. And as I said, we'll circle back and we've made our way back to, um, and you found your way to to the PHC and obviously you've made some connections and, and this retraining. And I had a question about obviously being a chemical engineer, did you see the systems? Do you see, you know, do you see that there's a system to the food systems now, you know, applying your um, your engineering mindset? And the second part to that is how do you redesign the systems? Right. Okay. So, so um it's such a good point and such a good question. So in the work that, that I, that, or in first, first of all, in, the, in my study side, but also in the work that, that Jen and I do together and, and I, I, I do within the area of nutrition, the, one of the basic interests for me is the biochemical part, the biochemistry. You know, how is it possible that, that a sort of a, a, a reasonably intelligent person um, like myself could not have made the connection earlier between the fact that you are what you eat you know everybody throws that statement around and how is it possible that I did not connect the fact that I was living on on sweets and cakes and and chocolates um, primarily and and carbs um, white white bread you know ridiculous things like that that I never got at home um, and expect that I could maintain a body and brain that's made of proteins and fats and minerals and vitamins you know how how does that it just doesn't even compute so so yes that is my biggest area of interest and I and and I just love working with that because I think that's our most fundamental opportunity for helping people to understand how important it is to choose real and natural foods the way nature intended because that is the only way that we are going to build and maintain our bodies and brains if we keep adding chemicals and and concoctions man-made concoctions um then then you know there is no there's no mechanism there is no no nothing within our digestive system that enables us to make use of those things we weren't designed for that so so no i i love that question somebody said to me the other day which i something i also really love is that there is no such thing as a new food and there hasn't been forever you know, new the the new food. The only new foods are man-made foods. Mm. You know, the the meats, the fish, the the vegetables, the the fruits, the nuts. The you know those the, there's things are yeah the primary sources, and yeah. I, which really which really makes me concerned about Beyond Burgers. I, I mean, I know in principle that that it's there. The Beyond the the you know this plant based sort of movement which you know it has a has all the health washing and all those sorts of clever clever marketing campaigns and um but it's still man-made i don't see the health aspect of of a chemical burger 
But anyway, but that's beside the point. But that really resonates with me because as a as a college professor, you know, I was morbidly obese and I was teaching about the healthcare systems and the healthcare professionals, but I was the absolute antithesis of health, health, being this morbidly obese woman. And it really, one of the students came up to me and sort of said that to me quite confrontingly, you know, you're not healthy, you know, why are you teaching health when you're not healthy? And it's like, I'm talking the talk, but I'm not walking the walk. But anyway, so that was obviously one one moment in time where I'm a very well-educated woman, but I wasn't obviously connecting connecting the dots. So it's it's an interesting thing. But I think what engineering gives us or gives you was this ability to see the systems and, you know, for your lens to see it as a system and then to go, aha, uh-huh, the system isn't right. You know, the system isn't the inputs and then obviously clearly the outputs for your lived experience and to the communities that you were the volunteer in the, you know, the volunteer communities. But where to from here? What's all of this enlightenment given this great opportunity? Oh, so there, there's so much. So, so uh, yeah, and now we need to, to bring Jen in as well, because Jen and I were, are working on a number of, of projects together um, probably uh, I'm, I'm going to list them and then I'm going to let Jen Jen talk because she's done some amazing work these last last um, few weeks to to take our food addiction recovery um, clinical study and put that um, put that into into words into a, a scientific paper um, that is that we're hoping to is going to get published shortly on on our the results of where we're at with that. So that's a big project that we that we have on the go um, to really try to contribute to the the world of food addiction on the basis that food addiction is actually not recognised as a formal disease. Um, and the reason for that is that there isn't a lot of there's hardly any clinical evidence we've sort of embarked on a project so jen heidi was mentioning about these projects this sounds like an exciting opportunity so mm. over to you welcome back yeah thank you yeah it's been it's been fantastic since i've met heidi and we trained together with on bitten's course two years ago now is it heidi just before yeah something like that and yeah we just realized that it would be a great collaboration between a psychologist and a nutritionist trying to help people with with food addiction problems so several projects so one really the I suppose the first one was us trying to think if we were going to provide a an intervention based on what we'd learned as sort of best practice because really there's there's no data on outcomes for people with food addiction. There's quite a few people trying to help people with food addiction, but really nobody's published anything. So we thought, well, what if we just do our best to put a program together, a group program, and then we'll kind of, uh, you know, measure some outcomes formally. So it was kind of an audit, really. Um, but then we also teamed up um, with some other people we trained with who were hoping to do a similar thing. So uh a team in North America, Molly Payne-Shab and uh, Chrissy Kennedy, and two guys in Sweden who'd also trained with Bitten, um, who run a, um, a company called 
labor soccer can't say it labor soccer fry living sugar free um and and um they were going to do the same thing so we've all been collecting outcome data based on a group online program um the programs are slightly different because they're just the ones that we design, but they have they have um, real common themes around it being a low, you know, low carbohydrate, real food. So um, a sort of a, an abstinent plan, if you like. So not eating sugars, grains and ultra processed food, but eating real, real whole foods. Um, but also the coaching, the support, all the stuff Heidi was talking about, about explaining to people in understandable terms about the, the biochemistry. And as you were talking, Heidi, that really struck me that we didn't know back in the day that everybody thought, oh, if you were overweight, you were obviously eating, you know, you're eating too much sugar, you're eating too much carbs. You know, it's clear to us all. I think it's only recently become clear that we were damaging our brains at the same time. And I really see that now. And that's the thing I regret. I think I used to think, oh, I'm a bit overweight, but I can kind of get away with this cake because as you say, it's only, it's death by a thousand cuts, but I never realized the harms I was, I was, you know, doing to my own kind of uh, brain, you know, the, how the addiction was worsening, but not only that sort of cognitive problems as well. So, yeah, so, so we've got that, that program ongoing and we also run that. Um, so we run that as a, as a weekly thing over 10 weeks and then with monthly follow-up. But we also took that exact same content and program when we run it as a weekend in the Lake District here in, in the UK. And we've done that a few times now. And there's there's pros and cons of each, but I actually love do I love doing the weekends. People, you get that kind of in-person bonding, the group, you know, really support each other. Um, and we've really, really enjoyed doing that. And obviously the the, well not obviously but the food is really lovely and the setting's really lovely and any any profits that we make from that also go to the public health collaboration and we get people who don't do the group uh, the weekly group courses um we ask them to donate whatever they think it's been worth to them to the phc within their means so um every everything we do is kind of for the phc so they can you know spread the word to, to more people um yeah, so those are those are those are two of the things we've we've been doing. Um, but Heidi's an amazing, amazing sort of organizing campaign person. So in the background, she's also been organizing internationally for us to try and get food addiction recognized um, in the ICD, which is the World Health Organization kind of manual of diseases. Um we had one go at that and uh it was not under, it was understandably kind kind of pushed back, but not in a very not in an incredibly sort of um dynamic way, let's say. So we're definitely gonna ha have another go. Mm -hmm. And then the other project that you need to talk to Heidi about is is based around families and and children and educating them so that we can try and avoid the next generation, you know, because the 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 numbers of people coming through now who have damaged their brains and got this food addiction problem. I mean, uh, the latest um, prevalence papers seem to suggest 20% of adults, and that that might even be an underestimate. Um, it's it's an absolute tsunami of of problems for physically, mentally, um, 
emotionally, spiritually <laughs> coming our way because of the way the, the food system is and because of, like you said, Louise, the marketing. And um, so, yeah, so that that's a, such a such a worthwhile project, the collaboration for kids. Um, yeah, developing materials that other people can use to because none of us are individually going to save everybody. You know, we need to. It's more about public public health education. Um, but do, do you not think that the um, particularly the WHO, which is very corporate managed, um, are, are going to fight against that because yeah. they are the big food and big pharma. They want to keep us sick. And yes. um, totally. Are you are you going to have a challenge? Yeah, we're just being a mosquito. We've decided we'll just be a mosquito in, in their ear. And that, that can be really annoying, can't it? Um, the, one of the reasons they gave for for rejecting the bid was essentially, in so many words, it's it would be too difficult. It mm. would be too, too difficult. And that's that's what they meant, of course, is that, you know, to say that that there's a thing that's a process food addiction or, or food addiction or sugar addiction is a thing that's real would be such a challenge um in terms of yeah the food industry food production yeah yeah um but you know but cigarettes was the same nobody thought that would go the same way we're probably 30 or 40 years behind that debate i think you know that they the the cigarette industry stood up in in congress and said that nicotine wasn't addictive cigarettes weren't addictive and i think we're in that phase oh sugar sugar isn't addictive it is and there's quite a lot of evidence that, that there is and you only have to look at people like me and Heidi to know <laughs> we only we have our own lived experience you know to say that that's true and all the clients that we talk to um who have this same struggle so yeah yeah so for the listeners if you want to hear Jen's story that was episode 37 um I don't know if you want to just touch on a few bits now and um for the people that are listening today now yeah, I'm so glad Heidi told her story because um, I think a lot of people think that food addiction is always linked with being overweight or being obese. And we know for a fact it isn't, A, because of Heidi's experience, and B, uh, again, the research shows that maybe 10 to 15% of food addicts are either underweight or normal weight. So um, so if you're listening, it doesn't, it, you know, and that's that's you. It, 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 you know, it still could be a problem that applies to you. My my story is a lot, a lot more, um, I would say, common. <laughs> I'm a common, common garden uh, <laughs> sugar addict. Uh, the same as Heidi, though, sneaking food when I was little, always obsessed with sugar and sweets, would spend all my pocket money on sweets. If I could get to the shop, you know, uh, sneaking stuff. And then an overweight teenager was was my result, which then led into um, some rather desperate dieting attempts. Some of those crazy diets that you guys might remember, like egg and grapefruit and celery and yogurt and miserable things like that. Even the shakes. I mean, they had the shakes back in the back in the seventies and the eighties. Uh, did all that, and yeah, then a lifetime of a lifetime of yo-yo dieting until I found low carb was the, the first step. That's ten years ago, and then my big aha moment was listening to Bitten Johnson on the Diet Doctor podcast. She did some videos on sugar addiction. And I thought it just, I just thought, well, this is ridiculous. I've never thought like Heidi, why did I never think that? I'm a psychologist for God's sake. I work with people with other addictions. Why did it never occur to me? 
that this addiction model would actually be so so useful to me and that's why I went ahead and, and trained with Britain and trying to kind of download all her decades of learning and since then of you know just yeah just being trying to learn what I can look at the literature um, and bring because I come from an academic -y, well a split academic clinical background um, and there's not been a lot of there's been there's been there's been research input into food addiction so you get um people in the states that have you know like ashley gerhardt and um people like that who've um you know been working on on the whole kind of um yeah the scientific side of this um but there haven't been any any studies looking at as i say looking at outcomes and how you actually how are we actually going to help people who've got who've got this problem to have some sort of a sustainable improvement mm. i think it's really interesting that there's two points putting a mirror to ourselves so putting a mirror to ourselves in heidi and jen you said that and, and that certainly resonates with me and being able to see the real issues behind what we know is a problem so i think there's there's something about that disconnect or that dissonance for the for the, the clinical psychologist in the room. Yeah. But there's also um, the thing about the solutions, right? So really that's where your collaboration is moving to. So rather than banging on about this is a problem, this is a problem, this is a problem, like let's just go the elephant's in the room, we accept that this is a problem, now let's just bloody get on with the job and what fix this do? system. Yeah, so how can we help it? How can we help people, yeah, individual people, but also, yeah, right. I mean, the community, the families and the children. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I think let's let's go, look, you know, we recognise obesity. We don't need another epidemiological study to say that we're fat, sick, tired, mentally unwell, ill health. You know, we've, we accept all the cancers and all that sort of stuff. Let's engineer a solution, i.e. here comes Heidi. And let's bring it all together. And as you're doing, you're doing the interventions, you're collecting scientifically the data, you're measuring the outcomes for improvement. So this is really exciting. And I think you alluded to the collaboration um, collaboration for children. Oh, that, that was Heidi's project. Kids, I'm going to let Heidi talk. Oh, kids. Yes. Uh, you, you mentioned C, CFK. Yeah, collaboration for kids. You have to get that. Get collaboration for kids. We need the K in there because it's okay, sorry. The, way, the way I introduced it originally um, and to the public health collaboration was as um, how about we do a collaboration for kids project, CFK, as a much needed antidote to KFC. Now, that's... <laughs> Yeah, I, yeah. I love the marketing. Yeah, the listeners can't see your faces now. I have, <laughs> careful. I have to be a little bit careful about that because, of course, we're not wishing to single out KFC um, particularly, um, but but really to say that this is a project about getting back to basics and um, to real natural foods. Um, the way nature intended um, and it's based on yes what what you've just said we've got all the data we know that um, that you know 25% of, of of sort of four four to six year olds are are struggling with obesity and that figure doesn't quite double when you get to 10 11 year olds but but gets close to it so so we know we know as Jen was saying this tsunami is is um, is 
is on its way. Um, and we also know that when we work with, um, so both Jen and I work with, with a lot of, of mature adults, both people dealing with food addiction, but also people dealing with diabetes um, and other metabolic disease. And they say to us, if only I'd known, if only I'd known sooner. So yeah, we have to do it. So Collaboration for Kids is um, it's a project under the public health collaboration. Um, before I say anything else, it's a voluntary project. So everybody that's involved in it is a volunteer. We've got more than more than 70 people now that have signed up for it, but we need more. So if anybody listening is interested in what we're going to talk about now, then yes, we need you to get in touch. We really need as many volunteers as possible. Um, and what we're trying to do is to, to help build awareness, um, take on some of the challenges like the, um, the, the processed food vegan movement, for example, um, I'm not going to pretend otherwise, we need to, we need, we're taking on, um, basing ourselves absolutely on, on evidence, what the evidence for what is needed to, to build and maintain a human body and brain, um, but also the evidence, the real evidence on what is going to sustain our world environmentally as well. So, mm -hmm. Um, but then our, the purpose with this is to try and do it at a community level. So we, are, we have got um, schools involved, we've got parent and toddler groups involved, we've got a dentistry team, we've got GP surgery teams, we've got food retail teams, we've, uh, what am I missing now? Um, uh, You've got you got the food, the food suppliers. Food, yes. Yeah, so like the growers, the growers. Absolutely, and the food retail team. We're we're trying to 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 form partnerships with food retailers um, uh, that will partner us on this to try and and make a a, a real change to what is on offer. Um, for example, hospital foods, but also um, ultimately, we would very much like to get some of the the bigger retailers involved. The environmental side, we need the, the sustainable farming community. So we've, we've, we are so lucky we've got, that was actually thanks to you, Jen. Um, we've got uh, Peter Ballastead, who's, yeah, who's, joining, yeah. who's joining us as an, um, on our advisory board. Jen is in our advisory board. Um, we've got people like Dr. Campbell Murdoch, um, uh, Professor Ali Ibrahim. We've got a number of 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 great supporters in our advisory board for this for this project and we have people from all walks of life so we have teachers we have teaching assistants we have doctors nurses dentists um uh, marketing professionals you know we need to get this right we need to understand from from movements like the like the 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 vegan processed food movement how what it is that makes this these foods cool you know we need to make we need to 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 you know use all our creativity initiative based on scientific evidence to then to to help people to to um, to understand what the risks are the food addiction risk being one and then the the health risks of course and then actually want to make changes 
feel you know feel inspired um to make changes to their to their diets mm. be able to yeah. so i don't know whether that gives you does that yeah it's really good and that you need to get Bear Grylls. I just saw a thing in, in the media the other day that Bear Grylls was vegan for a bit because he thought it was a good thing. And then he his health absolutely tanked. And now he's going around promoting meat and eggs. So absolutely. So we so I think Sam, I think Sam Felton's on that case for us. So good, is he? <laughs> I think so. I think so. I love Bear Grylls. That'd be great. If he yeah. the conference. Yeah. yeah. So I think that's fantastic because you know prevention is so much better than curing somebody so a lot of us work with people that are older they're already on the verge of type 2 diabetes or they have type 2 diabetes or they have some other metabolic condition and at that point you know you're fighting an uphill battle but if you we can get to the kids but also the food companies are aiming at the kids because they know if they can get them addicted to sugar when they're young or even babies when with their um formula milk they know that they can get those kids hooked then they've got them for life so we have to interrupt that and really change that and that's a a mountain to climb but we one step at a time one step many lifetimes work for many of us probably Uh, just just as an aside i've always wondered if formula fed babies are more likely to have a processed food addiction because i was i was formula fed and i often ask people yeah there we go i say are we bottle fed or breastfed i did a little um survey on twitter once of course it's 100 unscientific but um it, it, it does seem to be uh, a bit of a pattern in, in that oh that's our brains were, were, were wired for, yeah. for something sweeter than uh, yeah that, that, that said i interviewed eric reynolds so that's episode um 99 98 and what he said his his two boys were breastfed until they were three um and they've been brought up with natural foods but his youngest son is a sugar fiend and he's constantly searching for sugar and in fact my grand one of my granddaughters have got four grandchildren and and what and they're all keto low carb mum's always done that she even had sort of keto low carb pregnancies and and one is is a complete food fiend will get her hands on it anything she can find in the not much in our house obviously but even the bits that that are there she'll she she will seek them out it's very very food focused so i there is a genetic factor there is a you know there is that propensity my mum was definitely a food addict and we did the whole dieting thing together but she used to do this thing where she would like either be on a diet or eating all the foods all the sweet foods so yeah there's definitely a, a genetic factor um that is i think just more more often triggered by the environment that that we now that we now live in mm. I, I, that that really resonates with me because my mum who was a trained as a nurse and a midwife so when I came along in the early 70s, was actually not breastfed. So this is from a midwife, was told, obviously, you know, the formula is better than breast milk. It's engineered to be better than breast milk. And anyway, yeah. so and it's super interesting, same sort of thing, you know, mum and daughter doing the dieting things, you know, certainly from my from my teens and um, and onwards being sort of trained in the scholarship of, you know, <laughs> calorie restriction. Weight, weight loss, weight gain. <laughs> And um, 
and the crazy diets as well. So the, the you know the grapefruit diet sort of brought back you know cabbage soup diets. So and it's it's really is in, interesting because certainly I I don't know necessarily. I know that food harmed me you know because I was self soothing. So, but it certainly, you know, there were layers of that addictive behaviours that manifested or the maladaption from the, the emotional stuff that was going on. So that's the environmental. But certainly, um, yeah, the, the genetic components, it's really interesting to see it in that sort of controlled light that, that the one out of four, um, you mm. know, the genetic, the nature versus nurture, the environment shapes a lot of it, but you can't re-engineer the genes. Correct. Yes. Yes. Yeah. It's very interesting. Yeah. I think the 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 other the thing just going back to specifically the CFK project. One of the one of the points that we're very aware of from I don't know if you're familiar with if anybody's interested in in the um, in the perspective of children um, about dealing with obesity, for example, the work of of Professor Robert Pretlow. Um, and his what's he what's it called um, overweight what kids say is a very interesting makes makes actually quite terrifying reading but it's a collection of it's it, he he created a platform that allowed children um, a, a, a very a, a private platform that allowed children to go in and ask questions and share experiences and that kind of thing and he pulls out all the responses from children to various questions that were asked and various discussions that took place between them. And one of the things he, he, he picked up was that uh, out of all the, the children that were participating in this platform, 68% of them said they didn't need any more information about healthy eating, what is healthy. They know all that. But they, they do. Yeah, that's so they, you know, just don't try and tell us tell us what to eat anymore. We are literally, their words are, we are OD'd on, on healthy eating. Advice, yeah. Advice, exactly. So yeah. our, so in so the approach we need to take is, the, the basic starting point needs to be, we see this tsunami coming, we see children getting um, more and more, uh, struggling more and more with obesity, or, or we see the statistics of children getting heavier and heavier, um, and um, and we also see mental health suffering um, suffering more and more. So we have to conclude that whatever we're doing now isn't working. So mm -hmm. what we do now has to be an improvement. It has to be something different to what we're what we what we've been doing. And therefore, we're saying you know it's not purely about teaching you know changing the school curriculum. It's about approaching this as a community from all these right. different sides Angles. and your and your point that you were all making earlier about formula milk one of those opportunities is if we have some form of of key messages um, that are going to that we can deliver in a primary care setting where where it's the doctor or the nurse who is going to see the pregnant woman first and have an, an, an opportunity to influence her first, if we get our messages right and we get our delivery strategies right, maybe we can help, you know, a young, a young couple before, even before they have their first child. Because what, one of the things we saw in a discussion actually within the, 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 
the team, the CFK project, was that with, with mothers who have fed their children on, um, on formula milk, actually can be a little bit defensive about that, of course. And it's so, it's so natural, isn't it? So if we can even get there before that happens, that is, a, is another opportunity. In itself. Mm. Maybe you need to link with um, hypnobirthing practitioners because they, are, they as well are, are pushing the case that birth is natural and birth is normal. And, and therefore, we don't need all these interventions and we can train our body to give birth naturally. Um, so that, you know, they're going to be a great pre pregnancy because a woman that is actively searching out hypnobirthing or there's all sorts of now, when I was a hypnobirthing practitioner, that was it hypnobirthing, but now there's all sorts of different genres of hypnobirthing. Um, they're all the, they're already the people that are thinking about the life of their child and how they want to bring them up naturally and normally well whatever normal is today but you know give them a natural start to life yeah. it doesn't always work out but they're doing the best that they can to to give the child a natural birth yeah 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 no that's very interesting jackie hadn't hadn't thought of that connection yeah yeah so yeah i mean anything we are looking for all volunteers all help um anybody that has a passion in this area at all um, don't think that you can't be useful because um, we, we, you know, we're flexible. We understand people. Some people have more time than others, and we need, uh, we just need resources at the moment. Is it going to be like a national program? So, um, do you see it sort of, or is around, obviously through the PHC, in terms of where the ambassadors are located? So, as an as a national program. Yes, we do see it as a national program, but um, we already have had some interest from a university in Australia, um, which, which don't ask me now, Louise, because I cannot remember their names, um, but I can share that with you. Um, ultimately, we hope that this is not just something that stays within the borders of the United Kingdom, and we already have um, actually some, some people that are in, in Jens and my um, food addiction groups who've shown an interest in in this from from um, North America. So so you know we're not we're not restricting any any involvement um, at all. In fact, one of our uh, one of our uh, the ladies in the in the education contents team is based in Australia. She is in, originally English, but um, but she's based in Australia too. So so yeah. Will it be like a co-design? So really, because we, you know, you're talking about building it from the ground up. So it's it's bringing the the various aspects of the community together to co-design, um, you know, and really build this capacity for for individuals. Because your own experience in Crawley and seeing the social disadvantage, you can see how the important it is to to be advocating and getting that voice from the participants, the community at that level. Yes. to go well that that's not going to work you know that might not that that will work here it may not it might work in Crawley but it won't work in Chelmsford it won't work over in Devon it won't work in in York so how do you get that sort of Absolutely. tailoring 
so 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 important so fundamental to this collaboration um we're we're saying that we or we're using what we what we what's what is called commonly called certainly in business uh, a matrix structure organization structure where we're saying that um, we have teams that work within their area of expertise and then they um, so they will they will have their area of expertise and but they will where they need expertise from outside help from outside they will pull the expertise rather than trying to reinvent the wheel so we're working so that's how the matrix works so for example and that's where let's use jen as an example here as a clinical health psychologist um so instead of instead of the education contents team um or the the school's delivery teams saying um goodness behavior yeah how, how behaviors we're not really experts on this we better look start reading up on 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 behavioral psychology or something like that then no 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 we don't do that we ask jen jen come and talk to us please um we've got these we're working in this area we see these these issues we've got um our focus group that is challenging our delivery strategies is telling us this help what should we what what can you tell us or um or in um say uh, a, a gp surgery team where they know we know in that gp surgery team from our experience what is going to be the 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 time the practicalities of delivering key message is messages in a key in a in a in a gp practice we're not going to take the same material as is being developed in the schools team that's going to be an education program that goes over six weeks because we're only going to have 10 minutes um so we're going to work we're, we're going to work to make it work there and then we're going to pull in what we need of communication specialists that are going to help us to 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 create those messages you know, create nice, you know, visuals around the practice and so on. We're not going to try and do it ourselves. Mm. That sounds really great because it really is drawing on your own sort of your business corporate experience. You can sort of see that you've got that um, that approach, the business, the business approach that it's not reinventing the wheel, as you said. It's 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 having the the expert, the content teams, the focal points, the leads, the delivery, the systems, the channels. Yes, yeah. that sounds really and, great. And ideally, wanting people to develop it from 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 grassroots up to say what are, what can we do in what what is going to work in my area, rather than a top down approach which says we're going to right. do this and everybody you know you you deliver it. No, every no, it's not that's not going to work. No, no exactly. Because so I think ownership of of creating absolutely is going to work. And I think what COVID exposed was obviously certainly around those vulnerable populations and, you know, certainly being an outsider, you know, watching what was happening in the UK with um, with actually, you know, with with obviously vulnerable populations such as, you know, the black Asian um, minority groups, those sorts of things. So I think it, it really exposes the, you know, those with, with limited means, limited access, you know, and that's the hardest group to reach you know that's really how do you get to get it to those people that are um you know resource poor health literacies is a challenge you know english as a second language as a challenge you know the cultures the diverse groups yeah absolutely and and that takes actually takes us 
full circle back to a, to a question you asked, is this only UK based? Because one of the, another motivator for, uh, or inspiration for me to, to, to start this project was also the, the fact that it's, if we, if we do manage to come up with interventions that work in these different spaces, then we can take that abroad also to countries where they don't have, where they have the same kind of problems um, with metabolic disease. You know, I, I'm working, I have worked, not, I'm not working very actively in that area now, but with, I've lived in East Africa as a child and, and have some connections there, but where, you know, their biggest challenges are now non-communicable diseases. Absolutely. Um, and so, you know, if, if we can come up with something that can help there as well, ultimately, um, wouldn't that be wonderful? Well, mm. well diabetes in, in South Asian, you know, South Asian countries, like, you know, that was absolutely, you know, knowing that that's obviously, as you said, one of the, the major um you know, for more morbidity and mortality, you know, non-communicable diseases, huge, huge things in South Asia. Yeah. Can can I go back to ask about the um the study that you did, Jen? Yeah. Is it have you completed the study now? So that's the food addiction recovery clinical study. Yeah. So it's it's ongoing in the sense that we're going to collect data over two years because obviously you know you could get a pretty good result straight after doing an intensive group with people but really the whole issue with with lifestyle and particularly food addiction is that long-term maintenance that long-term abstinence so we uh it's going over over two years so um the the first people are now a year in on the Heidi I think we've just done the 12 months follow-up of the first group and then the latter groups have just finished and they're just starting the follow-up thing so the the paper that we've submitted is really just the before and after the intensive group part uh for the first we needed 26 people for for statistical power and um, we've got 32 from our country i think it was 38 from sweden and 36 or 37 from america so each team had has got power so we've we've just uh, submitted the first so fingers crossed that the the editor likes it yeah exciting mm. oh we've still got another year to go we'll still be following up all, all the yeah so in fact yeah another another two years really because we're, we're doing two years support from the end of the intervention so the ones that have just finished will will get the get the full two years uh and we just yeah we just hope we we have enough people left at the end who are still filling out our data <laughs> <data> set <laughs> we we've did we get to i think we put 70 over 70 people anyway through the groups so we should end up with 26 hopefully at the end excellent yeah so tell us tell our listeners about the weekend course that are coming up because if somebody's listening to this and they really rec are beginning to recognize that they are a food addict particularly a sugar addict i mean this weekend course is going to be of interest to them isn't it be perfect and we it is it's lovely it's such a, it's a beautiful setting brave hall uh just outside ambleside all, all food will be you know fine we abstinent food no sugars no grains no ultra processed foods um it's you get Heidi and I from sort of Friday lunchtime to Sunday lunchtime uh and we work through sort of various phases with people um a sort of a sort of self-assessment yeah so just to check 
you know, is, does this apply for you? We do a screening process and then sort of reflecting back, like a bit like telling your story really. And, you know, what have been the symptoms over, over, over your life. And then we, Heidi uh, um, does the, the wonderful stuff on the biochemistry of the brain. So people can understand that, you know, it's an addiction, it's not their fault. It's not about blaming yourself for these behaviors, but if you, once you've understood it as an addiction, with the treatment as abstinence you know then we're going to support you to to stick to that because um f food addicts can't do moderation in with sugar or any of those foods that 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 are problematic for them so uh we work on food plans and then obviously the main thing is how are they going to incorporate that in their life challenges like eating out or socially you know how are they going to do that in the long term but then the the final bit really is you know, if we're not getting our dopamine hit from from food or our, you know, our feel-good neurotransmitters, what are people going to be incorporating in the, in their lives, which is going to, you know, give them give them that in other ways? So then we 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 talk about that as well. Yeah. So if then, you take if you take something out, you've got to put something you've back. Got to put something back, and it's you know it's probably going to work a lot better for you in the long run. The food really never never solved any problems did it it kind of just created more so um and then yeah and then they get we obviously do monthly follow-up um on zoom with people as well so yeah it's it's a lovely it's a lovely thing and if yeah if people want to know more they can um i'm on twitter a lot at jen underscore unwin so you can always message me on there or ask for i usually tweet about it on there um and or the Fork in the Road website, www.forkintheroad.co.uk. You can email me through there. And um, just a tiny plug as well, all profits to the PHC Fork in the Road book. You can get it on Amazon. And Heidi and I beavered away and have produced, well, with the amazing graphics people, um, a journal, a 100-day journal. Wow. 100-day journal, also Fork in the Road on Amazon. Um, to, to accompany the book and for anybody who wants to do some journaling around their relationship with sugars, grains, and processed foods. Go ahead. Mm -hmm. I, I was just going to, I was just going to add on the, um, on the, the weekend, just to make it clear to people, um, Jen and I don't charge anything for that. We do that voluntarily. So people do pay, but they just pay for the accommodation and the food effectively. Wow. Yeah. Um, it. And for that, we do give this six months follow up um, support monthly sessions. Yeah, um, all included. <laughs> and um, I should also say, shouldn't I, that they're pro probably there's 99% sure that we, we like to incorporate something else in it as well. So we'll, we'll have some yoga and sort of mindfulness. So mindfulness around eating, yoga sessions in the morning and, and the evening. For, nice. not, not obligatory, but for those that, that like that kind of thing um some restorative yoga uh, and yoga's you know yoga's another one of those things that can be the thing that you can add into your life if you're taking food out as a coping mechanism you might need to put something else back in and yoga's one of those things so yeah. was that where the real foods rocks was that, that yes yeah that's great Anybody yeah lovely lo lovely nice part of the countryside and and that sort of thing can you just remind me jen um i think i was Remembering from your previous interview where you said about obviously dopamine is the reward hormone, then there's the serotonin, which is the feel-good hormone, 
and oxytocin was the um, love love hormone closeness cozy hormone and then you've got endorphins as well um so acronym in the book dose get your daily dose of dopamine oxytocin serotonin endorphins how, how are you going to get it if you're that's it. focusing on food that's it exercise. so where's the reward yes yeah, exercise hits all of those so if you're going to do anything at all you know exercise not to lose weight but just for your mental well-being um walking is as good as anything particularly if you do it outdoors um yeah it, it's i think it's um kind of essential that that people who are trying to get in food addiction recovery do some sort of movement because again you know just going back evolutionarily well you know we would we were designed to to move we weren't designed to sit around watching netflix sadly (laughs) and it's so interesting because um one of my colleagues was talking about covid legs and obviously being here in melbourne which was one of the most locked down cities and um, so now we're back on we're back to teaching on campus and she's finding that she's having to sort of almost rebuild her herself and her her mental sort of things about going back to the office and you know even just walking around on campus and she was talking about how jelly her COVID legs were because obviously we were sort of sitting down and now I'm living in a townhouse so upstairs downstairs and it, I'm just going, oh, I've got to walk up the stairs. Oh, my gosh. So, you know, just this, it's good exercise, absolutely. So I'm activating my glutes every time I'm walking up David the stairs. That, um, in, in, the, in the practice, they have a thing called bungalow legs, which is where in Southport there's a lot of old people and they live in bungalows. And that's actually quite a bad choice because you lose, yeah, you 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 lose that that functionality, whereas... His mum, who's 86, lives in an old stone house with loads of stairs and she's still going strong because she makes herself go up and down the stairs to the toilet and stuff like that. So, yeah. Yeah. So, Jen, you shared with the listeners your um, Twitter and and your website address. Is there any any other contact details you want to share? They're the best places to to find me, really. And Heidi, how can people contact you? They can just contact me via my email address, which is my name, um, all in one, no dots, Heidi Yevid, so H-E-I-D-I-G-I-A-E-V for Victor, E-R for Romeo, at yahoo.com. Brilliant. So we always like to finish with uh, your three top tips. So, Jen, why don't you go first with your three top tips? Three top tips. Um so my top tips are, yes, foods are addictive. So it's important, you know, for those of us who who have this problem to work out wh- which are your drug foods and exclude those. So it's a bit like if you're an alcoholic, you're not going to drink alcohol. If you're a nicotine addict, you're going to give up nicotine, right? So, you know, obviously you can't give up all foods, but wh- which foods you're going to give up and then, you know, focus on the whole, the whole foods and the, and the, and the, the real foods and, and, just really noticing you know how how that affects you give it a few weeks so that's like the, the first tip is like you know if if you're a food addict it's an addiction the treatment is abstinence so that's like tip number one tip number two is that um it's not just about what you eat it's about how you eat and some of us have developed sort of addictive behaviors around food like snacking when we're not hungry, like kind of volume, you know, 
having two big portions that we don't need. You know, I'm speaking from bitter experience here. Um, so uh, eating when standing up, eating in the car, you know, we've often developed those habits of we were kind of sneaking food. So we were trying to kind of ram it in when nobody was looking straight out of the fridge in the car, you know, uh, drive somewhere to get it, eat it before anybody knows you've had it, hide the packet. So some of those sort of behaviors can remain. So trying to think of as the behaviors as addictive as well as my second tip. So not just what you eat, but how you eat, try and eat in a way which is, you know, kind of, or you're almost trying to mimic normal. So you sit down, you have a plate, you put your knife and fork out, turn the tablet off, you know, serve yourself a meal, concentrate on it, enjoy it, and then move on with your day. Mm. So not just what you eat, but how you eat is my um, second tip. And my third tip is it's really hard to get out of the weight loss mentality. Um, but real recovery from, from food addiction is it, it, it's not about weirdly, it's not about the weight loss or the, the weight may come off along along the ride. Really, you're, you're eating in a way that's going to be sustainable and good for your body and brain in into the into the future without being restrictive, because the minute we start getting restrictive, um <laughs> it's like the kind of psychology of it isn't it it's like it's paradoxical the, the more we restrict the more the more we want so you know you've got to be eating enough of those good meat eggs fish things like that that are going to keep you satisfied and not and not hungry so yeah so so it's um abstinence um beware of kind of weird behaviors around food and try and stop those as well and then yeah give up on the whole idea of it being a diet with an end point yeah it has to be forever it's got to be forever you've got to be sustainable and you know if you end up you know you know maybe maybe you just have to get to the point that for you a healthy weight is not quite the weight you may have wanted but that doesn't matter if you're getting on with your life and you're able to achieve the things that you want to achieve uh and feel energetic and so on well that's all good isn't it <laughs> mm, absolutely better life than focusing on you know on weight loss the entire time and waiting putting life off until you're until you're a certain weight so those would be my three thank you Heidi yeah I love those Jen um I so I want to I'm, I'm just trying to think if I can make it easy to remember here so and so I'm going to try and go for an ABA um so a my a is going to be uh, it's going to be analyzed so what you were saying earlier uh, louise about looking holding up the mirror looking in the mirror so looking at ourselves and analyzing what is it take the time to look and analyze as what's going on with you because you know one of the things that i i find is we sometimes we get so we get very very hooked on on um on having to read more having to learn more having to having to listen to the latest podcast have to be you know to 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 keep that learning process going all the time but we forget that it's not going to happen to us the more we learn it's just like like my my sister's um or my brother-in-law says to my sister you know the more books you have on this doesn't mean that you're going to know anymore, um, we actually need to go through that analytical process. So the A is for, for being prepared to be 
analytical so that you understand yourself, what's going on with yourself. Mm. Um, That's, I mean, yeah. that almost is, you have to start there, don't you? Yeah. 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 I mean, all the, all the learnings and these kind of these, you know, that, that's all helpful, but ultimately it has to apply to me, doesn't it? It has yeah. to be related to me. I have to analyze myself. Yeah. Sorry, Louise, go on. All right. And, and that's when you, you're reading all the parenting books. You know, you read all the baby books and it's just like, why won't my baby sleep? So I go to the baby book and it's just like, you just got to crack on and do it. Yeah. You know, like you just got to live this experience. Yeah. So, and then I'm going to analyze and reflect and, you know, plan, act, do, and, yeah. and evaluate all that sort of stuff. So, but don't let perfection get in the way of progress. That's that's the other thing for your sister. Yeah, 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 yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, and for, and for all of us, I think probably. <laughs> but, well, but, but 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 we're 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 all you know those high yeah. need achievers with perfectionist perfectionistic tendencies. You know, we wouldn't be here if we weren't inquiry minded. But, you know, the thing is, I won't do until I'm ready. And that sort of imposter syndrome always kicks in for me. But it's just like at some stage I actually have to move from that sort of preparation phase, that sort of, you know, contemplation, pre-contemplation, you know, but I need to actually get to get into action. Yeah, absolutely. And that's where I'm heading with my with my three, actually. Sorry. Sorry. No, no, not at all. all. No, that's 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 fantastic. Uh, maybe I can stop now because you've taken over. No, no, this no, is you. It's all about you. You don't get out of that. Get get out of it that easily. <laughs> but but certainly we do that in in our sessions. And Jen is is really really good at this too. And every every session we do, then it's always at the end of it. You know, so you're analysing where you're at now, but then what are you going to do next? Um, but yeah, so then and then my B is beyond the food. And I, I think one of our problems that one of our challenges, those of us who are food addicts in particular, is that we are so used to having our head full of thinking about when am I going to get my next fix? You know, when am I going to have, have I know I, I, the, I go back to my carrot cake or the, or the chocolates that I bought or whatever, you know, it's when am I going to have the next meal and when's it going to give me that that dopamine rush and in fact I'm getting that dopamine rush already as I'm reading my recipe book or or planning what the next meal is going to be so I'm already on that path so I need to get beyond that I need to get beyond the food and that is what else is there in my life is there I I need to fill my life with with living not just food food is to make my body and brain do what I want it to do it's not to make it eat more <laughs> or f- come up with another food. Yeah. So that's my that's my my B. And then my C is your act, Jackie and Louise. It's what you it's absolutely get involved. So get involved with with us in some of these projects that we're trying to do. Get active in this in this field. Um, support, you know, your own from your own family you know, be, be prepared to take on the difficult discussions. If you don't, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm sure you've all had them at home. You know, I, my husband was absolutely not low carb at all. Um, he's not a food addict, so he can, he can have one little piece of chocolate, you know, once in a, in a blue moon, but, but yeah, the getting involved with our own families and beyond our own families 
to try and help people with this. This is a global problem. Um, we are more and more hooked on, on these foods. We only need to read Michael Moss's his book, Hooked, or, or Robert Lustig's. I mean, there's so much information out there. Mm. Um, beautifully written. But yeah, so my last, my third one is ACT, Get Involved. Brilliant. Thank you. Thank you, Jen and Heidi, for coming on today. It's been a real pleasure talking to you and finding out all the things that you've got going. And I think there's a lot there for everybody to either get involved on a, on a level where they're giving to other people, as in with the collaboration for kids, or getting, getting involved and doing things for themselves. Thank you so much. And please continue to your advocacy and obviously the driving for change. I think that's really great and really building the community, you know, the capacities there. So I think that's going to be wonderful. And we hope to have you back when, you, when you're going to be being able to share some results. That'd be yeah. wonderful. Thanks so much. Thank you. Thank you, ladies. Thank you. Jackie, you know how I love a the story where the lived experience, where we have this rich journey. And it was so enthralling that we heard from Heidi and her journey. And, you know, to, to be able to be confronting, I suppose, that looking down the barrel of that early onset dementia diagnosis, only to find out that it was the food. Mm must have been very scary being in that place well you know as we heard you know it affected her work her performance she was you know staring down the barrel of you know her confidence was obviously you know really impacted but who would have thought that you know that it was all about the food mm, i guess we would now but we wouldn't have oh, done yes. before uh so we see we see it happening now but also the fact that it's affecting people younger and younger. I think that's the scary thing as well. But this is where, I've, you know, her collaboration with obviously, um, you know, well, through the PHC and for her, her um, collaboration for kids projects is going to be life changing. I think that that's just, you know, a real credit to to her passion to be transforming lives. Yeah. And definitely the earlier we can start to educate the children and their parents, because it, it has to be the parents as well, the the more effect we're going to have on the up-and-coming generations. Yeah, and I think, I know kids get a lot of education at schools, you know, with the health and, you know, the, the nutrition, their physical activities, things that, you know, risk, the risk stuff, smoking and alcohol. but it really is a credit that the Collaboration for Kids project is about building that up from, you know, from that that base, the community, to target the communities. But as we know, the, the education that they're getting around particularly food is not the right information that's going to support a healthy body. No. And, you know, as, as she's also doing is obviously focusing on the, 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 the community centres and trying to sort of do the the diabetes reversal programs, you know, to sort of obviously get both ends of the spectrum. So, um, yeah. yeah, but as you said, that early childhood education, supporting the families with the with the project, it sounds like, you know, it would be exciting to, to 
get it implemented and see the results. And we know that obviously with Dr. Jen's sort of, you know, expertise, research expertise, I'm sure that um, it'll be, the results will be wonderful. Yeah, it'd be really interesting to see how it evolves and grows. So it'd be good to remind the listeners that Dr. Jen and Heidi have an event coming up in November around food addiction, a workshop, food addiction workshop. At Ambleside. Yes. Wasn't it? Yes. Where you went to Real Food Rocks. Food Rocks. Shout out to Heidi Cuthbertson. (laughs) So hi, Heidi. (laughs) And so if you're interested in going on that program, you can go to huntsland-nutrition.com and you can book in for the food addiction program. It sounds wonderful. You're going to be getting some education from Dr. Jen and Heidi and my favourite thing, yoga. That sounds <laughs> wonderful. And obviously all the food as well. So, yeah, November. Oh, it will be lovely. By the lake. Yeah. Not as cool as, well, it will be cool as in temperature, but not as it was in when you went in July. Yeah. That was obviously 2019 with Heidi. It was lovely. It's a lovely location. So, Jackie, can you remind us where that we can get the show notes for this episode? So the show notes can be found at fabulouslyketo.com forward slash podcast forward slash 105. 105, yes. We're nearly there to our special guest episode 107 for our second anniversary. Only Yay. Two more to go. Yep. How exciting. See you there. Bye. It would be great if you could support us through Patreon. Go to patreon.com forward slash fabulously keto and you can choose the monthly amount you wish. Can you recommend a guest we can interview? If you can, click on the link in the show notes to send us your recommendation. Would you like to join our Facebook group? Search for Fabulously Keto on Facebook. Our Facebook page is called Fabulously Keto and you can follow us there. Or you can follow us on Twitter. Our handle is Fabulously Keto. Or follow us on Instagram, Fabulously Keto 1. Did you enjoy the show? Let us know you listened by tagging us in your Insta story or Instagram post using the handle Fabulously Keto 1 and the hashtag tfkp all the links are on the website and in the show notes if you haven't subscribed to the podcast click the subscribe button reviews help us to be found and reach new listeners please leave a review of our show on your preferred podcast listening platform we appreciate you taking the time and read them all disclaimer The information in this podcast is for informational and educational purposes only. Nothing in this podcast can be taken as advice. Whether our guests are doctors, healthcare professionals or not, they're only sharing their own opinions and stories, and this does not constitute a doctor-patient relationship. It's always best to seek professional medical advice should you wish to make any changes to your current medication or treatments. Also speak to your own doctor if you have any concerns about your health or you wish to make lifestyle changes, especially if you're taking medication.